We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, everybody? Welcome into the OBR Film Breakdown Weekend Edition, Saturday, February 3rd, day before my son's birthday. I'm not going to shut up about this, Andrew. I'm just going to keep talking about birthday weekend here. As you listen to this, I will be at the jump park just getting mad air. Just I'm just going to be gathering air, trampoline to trampoline. I want you folks out there to envision that, particularly you, Andrew. Yeah, you know, mad, mad air and probably some sort of respiratory virus. I will probably end up sick <laughs> or I will just like uh, I, I won't be able to breathe enough that I have to just sit down on the side, take a little be break, really sweaty and sad. <laughs> so, you know, I'll, I'll update you guys on this one in the, in, in the next podcast, but you know, could go either direction there. Right. So that's what we got going on for me that what anything lovely for your weekend, Andrew? Well, you know, dog, dog stuff. It's all, it's all geared around the dog. Just trying trying to get him settled in. And he's got some, uh, he's got some tendencies. He's got some, uh, What's your early uh, I, scouting report? Yeah, I think he's uh I think he's maybe an outdoor dog. Really? Mm-hmm. Like, like- I, in in his history. Uh oh. and so he he kinda I I I told my girlfriend I think he might break the TV. Cause like he's he he's a little clumsy and he kind of fires off the ball with a lot of speed and uh yeah. doesn't really have the a rush plan figured out. It's just yeah. kind of all arms. He's a gap and, shooter. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah, right, exactly. He's kind of that inside wrecker uh and so there's just some unpredictability to his game that uh is taking us for for us you know wasn't on the scouting report weren't wasn't 100 aware of that so yeah um and then outdoors sometimes indoors he really likes to jump up too so we're we're, we're yeah we're navigating some some uh treacherous waters at the moment Try well thoughts help. and prayers to your Thanks, way man. with with this it's a tough thing to do man you got you know as, a, as the position coach that you are as the uh, dog coordinator um, you know, you have to really come up with a set set plan here. How you're going to develop them over the next year? It's a lot to take in. Maybe we'll we'll dig into that in the coming months when when we start to see if the tendencies break. But I've never, I'm, I'm all kidding aside, I've never adopted an adult dog. So I would imagine, like you're saying, you're learning the sort of idiosyncrasies of this dog on the fly. That's tricky uh, for an adult. Yeah, he's. Uh, I have had that experience in the past, and so feel 
somewhat confident in my ability to take this on, but it is, it's a lot because he's a, he's a he's about 75 pounds. So he's, you, you've put that amount of weight and he's not a hundred percent sure how to use it. It, it does start to, it, I, I guess the way that I would say it is that I don't think he ever got a chance to mature beyond sort of puppy play styles, but he's about three years old, they think. So yeah, he, he, he's just, I think that's why I think the outdoor thing, cause you couldn't get to his size indoors doing what he does because he's, just, he's knocking stuff off tables left and right. So he's like, he's like a Juco, yeah. a stellar Juco athlete. Yeah. Who just a lot of raw tools, the craft. a lot of yeah. raw tools, not a lot of technique. So we got to get him in the, we got to get him in the lab a little bit and uh, really build, break him all the way down. Build him no, na- no name yet. People want to know. No, we're, we're still waiting on that one. I, I, it, it yeah, comes slow. It comes yeah, slow. I, I give myself like a week or two. All right, here we go. Let's open with the coordinator conversation stuff. Something I have noticed, Andrew, that is fascinating is, you know, two 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 locations that have done this pretty ex- exclusively. I'm like looking around the landscape and I follow some national people. I follow some individual market types. Everybody's mocking the Raiders hires here. You go look at the Raiders people and they think it's unbelievable. They think yeah. this is the this is the best staff they could have put together. You go look at New England's the same way. You look at their uh you know hiring of Van Pelt and people are pumping up the Van Pelt hire. And I also saw a funny one today. As the Titans are putting together a pretty good staff, it feels like, and then they hired this offensive coordinator who is very underwhelming. And I know Callahan's going to call plays, but the funny thing is about this hire, Andrew, from like the it's 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 as close to the peak of nepotism as you can get. This young man played at De La Salle with Callahan, went to Colorado to play, got his first coaching job in Nebraska. Who was the head coach? Bill Callahan Sten is the Nebraska head coach. Mm-hmm. And then they're all coming back together in Tennessee. And it's like if I was a Titans person, I would hate this hire, but they're like people making it seem okay i just find the phenomenon of like my team made this decision this is a great decision fascinating versus like a guy leaves and i saw some of this with callahan i tried to do this delicately we're like quite obviously you can't replicate callahan you cannot replicate the amount of respect the knowledge base he has etc cetera, etc cetera, while saying while trying to say like i don't think it's the worst thing in the world to have him or have the Browns, excuse me, get some other opportunities, like I said on the pod yesterday, or other perspectives, I should say. So I, I, I don't know. I just find this whole thing. It's the same with free agents who leave your team. Ah, he's not that good. Or you get that free agent. No, nah, they just didn't know how to use him. It's the same cycle, and it's one of the funnier cycles I think in pro football. I think it's really caught on with coaches too, because I think that stuff maybe didn't used to get as much attention. It feels like if you went back 20 years, it would be harder for teams to, or players, sorry, fans to remember how, like, or to know who the, the offensive coordinator is, the quarterback's coach. And because that stuff gets covered more because the agents are, as we've talked about before, feeding all this information to the insiders, they will gas up a wide receivers coach. I, I don't, the guy's name is eluding me, but the wide receivers coach that tyke something that went to Tennessee, yeah, went to Tennessee right? Tennessee. Yeah. The, he's getting shine from the insiders when that signing it, is being reported. Like this is a big time move for Tennessee, 
or being equated with Bill Cowan. It's like, dude, I have never heard that guy's name. So it's I'm going to go ahead and with, say like probably. A, play, a player will hype up that position coach. And right. you're supposed to be like, well, maybe he just liked him because he played him at an yeah. early age. You know what I mean? Or something or was like that. easy on him in practice on Fridays. And he could <laughs> yeah. take, he could took, took a few extra snaps off or whatever. This It's the same thing we talked about with the players rallying in Dallas for McCarthy to come back. Of course they want him back. He doesn't practice them. He doesn't make them hit. So, yeah, they probably like having a uh, summer camp every year in Dallas. That's probably yep. pretty fine by them. So I, I do think that there's a there's a lack of critical thinking, but I will also say that one of the genius things about the NFL is the more the minutia of this stuff gets reported, the more people can read into it as if it is meaningful, which is obviously the majority of what we do here. Yeah, well, that's true. I think so. What we're saying is be careful. The frustrating part is when you say be careful in applauding your team's decision. If you go against the decision, it's man, it's a bunch of haters, man. Don't get it. Don't understand. Right. So whatever. You know, I, I just <laughs> I think you should be careful thinking your team is above, you know, a mistake in decision making. Right. Or the Browns. I think you can also say the Browns did everything right with Callahan. Right. They They tried to hold on to him but they also did right by a guy wanting to coach the sun. It's just sort of a thing I've seen floated too. Like, I can't believe they just let him out of his contract. You want to have a miserable person here while his son is a once in a lifetime opportunity to work with the sun. And you just want to hold him hostage in Cleveland. That's not fun. That's not good for anybody. And that doesn't do you any favors among right. coaching circles. So like, you're going to let him go. You're going to let him go. It's just, it sucks. But that's how it goes sometimes, man. I wonder if if Stefanski someday had a son who became a coach and became a, a head coach somewhere. Like this, this could happen anywhere, anytime, anytime, right? You know, it could be seen like Bill Belichick's son gets a head coaching job. You could see him try to coach with him at some point. That's like a, imagine that having your child get that job. Like I'm gonna go work with him. That's awesome. Yeah, if this dog ever gets a head coaching job, I'm definitely there as the defensive coordinator. Uh, so I, this dog, that's the name? We're going this dog. Yeah, this dog. Yeah, This one right here. Yeah, uh, I do think, like with the Raiders, for example, a lot of this is just anything's got to be better than Josh McDaniels. This uh, is because true. I think a Well, big... is Hugh Jackson, though? <laughs> I think we started an argument. <laughs> right? Yeah. No, you make a good point. You make a good point. But I think... From a play, even from a player empowerment standpoint, which is why Pierce got that job, For sure. probably Hugh Jackson is better than Josh McDaniels in terms of giving players what they want and making them happy and excited to be on the team or whatever. I I think that there's there is a part of this is the psychology that Browns fans haven't had to deal with in a few years now of when you have a head coach and you know that he's dead on arrival but you can't get out of that contract. It's it's a little bit of what the Browns are negotiating with the Watson situation because they're more committed to the quarterback than the head coach. But I remember this from years past where you're almost rooting for the team to fail more to get out from underneath. I, the end of 2019, it was clear that Freddie Kitchens was in way over his head. Yeah. So then it becomes how many games can Freddie lose down the stretch here so we can make sure he's one and done because he needs to be. But if he if he gets to seven and ten or eight and nine, whatever the I guess it was before eight and eight, then you're you're not washing him out, and all of a sudden you're stuck with year two of Freddie Kitchens, and you know that season's over before it begins. I think that's how Raiders fans probably felt coming into this year. It's kind of like how it was when Jeff Saturday was with the Colts, and it was like they won a couple games, and you're like, is this going to really trick Ursay into keeping him around? 
long term. So yeah, that is a it's always a dangerous game to play. Uh, okay, real real quick though, I want to do a update on like first reaction, first gut impulse because the division has seen a bunch of people move, right? So the Browns have seen their offensive staff kind of overhauled here. They still have an important hire to make, but it relatively overhauled. The Steelers hired an offensive coordinator. The Bengals lost an offensive coordinator promoted from within. And then we know that the Ravens lost several key parts. So who would you say, I don't know if we're ranking them as the best way, but who would you consider to have had the best coaching, like, I don't know. I don't know how to label this, Andrew. I would say maybe like coaching movement. Who who is uh, who's done well, or have all four teams been crunched here? You know. I, well, I think the Steelers probably qualify as the team that did exactly what you thought they would in terms of it's it's kind of a change without much meaning behind it. It feels like a little bit of of uh, treading water for them. I think. The question in Baltimore, I don't think we've mentioned that Zach Orr got that job as a defensive coordinator. Yeah, we haven't. And I that that's such an open question because that's a position coach stepping up for the first time calling plays. I understand the move from their perspective in terms of getting somebody who's already been in that building, in that culture, to hopefully continue it. But it is a gamble for a team that has the sort of aspirations that the Ravens do. It is. Same with... You know, Dan Pitcher taking over the OC role in Cincinnati. I I would think that how I would view them, I think Baltimore's been hit the hardest. I think the Steelers have maintained a lot, and I know we don't love Arthur Smith on this show, but he is an upgrade to what they have had. So they probably get the biggest bump, even though it's not much of a bump. The Browns are taking the biggest risk of anyone because they completely overhaul thought process here. And I can't sit here and guarantee like this is the right thing to do. You know, I think that they made some nice decisions, but I can't, you know, who am I to say that this won't all blow up? The offense will look terrible. And then it's a real uncomfortable conversations we're having around this time next year. And then, you know, Cincinnati kind of like, I would, I would say Cincinnati almost stays sort of where they were. Because Pitcher's been there a long time and he knows exactly. And again, a reminder that Callahan wasn't actually calling plays in Cincinnati. So, like, the Steelers are trending up. The Browns are kind of like neutral with a big question mark. The Callahan thing sways some stuff here, and we don't know his replacement. The Bengals are sort of sitting at the at the average spot, and then I think the the Ravens are. Trending down, but it doesn't mean the Ravens can't figure this out. Obviously, they they clearly have a knack for it, for sure. And and I wouldn't bet against them, but it is worth remembering or or just kind of considering the it, to your point about how uh, the franchises get excited about the new coaching hires. Everybody in Seattle loves the Mike McDonald thing. Yeah, and you would have thought after years and years of Pete Carroll, they would have been desperate to get an offensive minded head coach in there, but Mike McDonald, it is. And and they're thrilled because you think you've got a chance to shut down the Rams and the 49ers every year. His level of defensive coordinatorship, I think allowed some guys to overplay their ability. And I think you saw that with a lot of the veteran free agents that they brought in this year, where they got so much out of Jadevian Clowney, so much out of Kyle Van Noy, et cetera, et cetera. 
I you I think it's fair to ask whether or not that continues with the next guy up because that is a very specific thing. Andy Reid does it really well. You look at the rogues gallery of wide receivers that they have this year and they're still somehow in the Super Bowl. So I I think that there are examples of coaches that can really elevate even mediocre personnel and make them integral pieces because they do exactly what those guys are best at and nothing else. But the majority of NFL coaches don't have that ability to to ad- adapt their scheme to everybody. So obviously there's still playmakers like Kyle Hamilton is is obviously that dude now and and Roquan Smith, et cetera, et cetera. You go down the whole list, but you wonder if they're able to move the other pieces around with the smaller contracts to kind of fill holes in the same way that they were this year. Yeah, something we should do at some point is go back and check into some of the takes we had around the division and whether those came to fruition. Like we thought the Bengals, it was interesting that people just sort of surmise that they would be like fine because they lost their safeties and some stuff. We were kind of right, right. on that. Mm-hmm. I think we had some questions about some concerns about Monken taking over and just seamlessly fitting with Lamar Jackson. That one obviously went the other direction. We also had some concerns about like their pass rush depth and stuff. Well, they led the NFL in sacks. So there's some stuff there that we missed on with Baltimore, the Steelers. It was pretty much Kenny Pickett. Can he be the guy? We didn't think so. So we were, right on that but that that'd be a fun thing to kind of retrace mm-hmm. uh looking back at some of those bigger questions we had around the division and whether we were kind of right on those concerns or wrong on them because um i feel like most of them we were pretty right on uh the baltimore one just they they overachieved they they really they really overachieved and um credit to them on that but there's probably some around the nfl that we could look at too in that regard uh, and, and kind of backtrack. But for now, we're going to look back specifically at the Browns. We're going to take a break. And when we come back from break, we're going to do some position reviews. And we're going to cover uh, how we do that. Uh, specifically, our criteria will be. So uh, we'll be right, right back after this break. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Buying tickets to your favorite events should not be stressful, guys. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and concerts near you. You can find them last minute with killer deals, and their best price guarantee helps you stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for all the fun you've had. So why would you go Game Time? They have flash deals, last-minute tickets. They're easy to find. Buy tickets for every kind of event in your area, specifically those Cleveland Browns. You get great images of the seats view 
which is awesome when you're trying to figure out how the stadium is going to look when you're trying to find that right ticket for the right price. And they have that low price guarantee and event cancellation protection, job loss protection, all of the stuff to help you protect your money, right? It's the fastest growing ticket app for a reason in the country. You get images of your seats. Like I said, before you buy them, you buy tickets in a matter of seconds and they're sent directly to your phone. All right. So you never have to go digging through your email to find something last second. It is always there. You can put them in your wallet app and make sure to have them up and ready to go. It's important to know you can download that game time app, which makes it extremely easy, very intuitive, very fast way to buy those tickets, create an account and use the promo code OBR for $20 off your first purchase. Again, terms apply. Again, create that account, redeem the code OBR for $20 off. You can do so at GameTime.co. It is not .com, it is GameTime.co, but I would suggest downloading that app, taking advantage of the $20 off coupon using the promo code OBR. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. All right, Andrew, position reviews, we are going to do three sort of criteria. We're going to do a group grade. And inside of that group grade, grade we're going to uh, sort of assign a letter grade, right? And uh, you want to go over what those letter grades entail? Sure. So an A grade obviously is league leading, best best around, that sort of thing. B is is quality. Uh, C is sort of league average. D would be disappointing. It works out that way. And then F obviously is just failure. Yeah, can't even keep them on the field. That sort of situation. Yeah. So that's yeah. that's how it breaks down. Pretty simple. Next part of the criteria will be who stays and who leaves. So kind of a look ahead, who we expect to be here in 2024. And then the path to improvement will be an angle we take and um, names to monitor will uh, will also be just like we could throw out some draft names or free agency names we're interested in here earlier, uh, earlier in the process, I should say. Starting with quarterback. So you have four quarterbacks we're really looking at. Jeff Driscoll kind of around, and he did a nice thing for us playing that that final game, I guess. But I think we're kind of looking at the four that were here for a, a good group, you know, a good portion of the season. All right, so Watson starts six games, plays six games, but really he played five because the Colts game doesn't count. Correct. We have P.J. Walker who starts two, plays in six. You have Dorian Thompson Robinson who who plays in eight games, starts three games. Flacco starts and finishes five games, six including the playoffs, and then Driscoll was here for one. So uh, most teams break down the quarterback position. It's breaking down a guy, maybe two. The, we're kind of breaking down four players here. We don't need to do this individually. Assigning a group grade, Andrew, um, this is a little tricky because I thought if it was just Deshaun and Flacco, you'd probably give them like a C, but you have to include the other guys in this. And those were really rough times. I mean, between Dorian and PJ Walker, you're talking about a two touchdowns, nine interception split. And that's not, I don't know what your record book says. That's not very good. Kind of frowned upon a little bit. So I would probably assign this, this quarterback grade has to be Flacco saves it from an F was probably a D. I mean, I don't really think you can go above a D. What do you have it at? Yeah, I think you're right just in terms of the play, but from a record perspective, I know that so much of that comes down to the Browns defense, right? But I'm just looking at these stats and you got to give PJ Walker the Colts game win. So he's two and one. And then Deshaun Watson and Joe Flacco are both four and one. So for the year too, putting it into perspective of what the season would have looked like, the Browns attempt 624 passes. 
Yes. Yeah. Will you look real quick while we're on the topic at previous seasons if that's Kevin's highest number? It has oh, it's to be by be. a lot. I, I guarantee. I think he was usually in the low 500s. Yeah, I guarantee you. So while you I'm talk dead. about that, I'll go through the rest of the data for the collective group. So 355 of 624 for a 57% completion percentage. They did throw for over 4,000 yards, 4,011 yards, 24 touchdowns, 23 interceptions. So that's like an old school Dan Marino line of like uh 24, like a Favre, like, like Brett Favre would have one of those one-to-one ratio seasons sprinkled in out of nowhere. It's a, it's a very, it's a very peculiar line. Did you, did you find any seasons that he's had more than 600 attempts in a year? No, it's 520 and 21 and then 540 last year. So a, a almost hundred, hundred uh, throw jump. And obviously 20, 2020, was a 16 game year so it was only 486. So 22 they attempted f- 532 rushes, 21 they attempted 485 rushes. This year they attempted, let me see here. Just uh it's, it's a loose number, 518. So it's not like the run numbers were way off. Well, they this goes back to the it. thing we were talking during the season. They had so many more plays than their opponents because sure did. the number of three and outs that the defense was able to generate. So they they ran they just ran more plays. So they threw and ran the ball more than most teams. I would like to look at total number of plays this year and like see what the percentage difference is. You know what I mean? If they if there was that big of an uptick, we know they didn't run it much at the end of the year because they couldn't. So it's interesting. Just something to note here. But but yeah. So you're I'm giving them a D. What are you giving them? Maybe like a D plus because yeah, of the... D, D plus C minus somewhere in there. I I think the quarterback play. It's crazy to say, but I don't think it was responsible for a lot of the problems that they had on offense. I'm looking at the running back room. I'm looking at the injuries on the offensive line. Obviously, the injury to Nick Chubb in the running back room, but the the fact so maybe that maybe you're talking more like C minus C. I think so. I think okay. so because I think the only player that wasn't really prepared to have to start games was Dorian Thompson Robinson and he still acquitted himself well won that game against Pittsburgh down the stretch I I know that that part of this is Kevin Stefanski putting these guys in positions to succeed and I know that PJ Walker is not a starting NFL quarterback but he still had the mentality and the toughness to deliver in situations where the Browns typically would not their where their quarterback would cost them the game and so I I think these guys deserve a ton of credit for being the third, fourth man up and still getting the job done. I, I will. You've talked me into it as I think more and more about it. It's also really hard to come into games the way, you know, with moving quarterbacks week to week, you know, PJ Walker's on the bears through the entire preseason comes over here, has to start games early in the season. Joe Flacco's arriving off of his couch, right? Yeah, this is, this is a curve, right? We yeah. are, we are grading. If you're just talking, you're right. You're right. If you're grading the test, these grades are bad, but then you give them the curve to the situations that they were put into. And I think really the only, you know, the Pittsburgh game, for example, is an F. The first Pittsburgh game that Watson played, he played terribly in that game. Yeah. The Texans wildcard game is, despite the fact that Flacco started great, is an F because he cost them that game with being loose with those throws. So there's there are individual games that got really rough, I think. P.J. Walker's play down the stretch in the Seahawks game was tough, but you're, those are the exceptions. For the most part, the team showed up when they needed, or the quarterbacks, I should say, showed up when the team needed them to. 
Uh, I did look it up. For the 23 season, the Browns had 50 more plays than the second team. 1,187 plays. The Lions had 1,137. Yeah, so that would account. I mean, it accounts. I would like to look at the Browns year over year and see if they how many more they ran. We don't have to do I, that I live. Can, but. I can, yeah, but but the, the interesting thing is they're first in plays, 28th in yards per play. Yes. That so is, that one is. of the ways that they were able to generate a ton of offense relative to the rest of the NFL is by having more plays. Because if it if they ran the same number of plays as the average team, they'd have a few hundred yards less offense. And it would cut into the attempts too, you know what I mean? Exactly. Right. They 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 subsisted this year on a defense that just kept handing them the ball back. All right, so any luck on finding out how many plays more they ran this year than maybe previous editions? It's like a hundred more plays than last year. Yeah. You're gonna oh, you're gonna yeah. find yeah. seventy more passes and something right. like that. So not unexpected at all. That's a great formula that they should try to keep up. Just to, if I could recommend that uh, to them, that'd be that'd be lovely. All right, next category is who stays and who leaves. This is a little bit of a prediction segment. We all know that Watson is staying, Dorian Thompson Robinson is staying. Do you envision Flacco, Walker, or Driscoll being around at all next year? I think there is a path for Joe Flacco to return to this team. I, I really believe that because I think I think he had a pretty unique experience in Cleveland, and I don't think that he wants to be a backup. So if he gets an opportunity where he thinks he has a genuine chance to start, he'll take it. But I also think he would prefer a backup role to Cleveland in Cleveland to almost anywhere else. Maybe not insignificantly because he understands Watson's play style a little bit at this point. I think if I'm kind of reading his mind a little bit, I can imagine him choosing to be back in Cleveland over, for example, keeping a seat warm for a rookie quarterback because that that's a, that's a game that you can never win. You're just, the clock is ticking for that new guy coming in and it's only a matter of time. Whereas there's, there's a non-zero chance that he's the starting quarterback of the Browns by October again. Trivia question for you. Who's older, Kevin or Ken Dorsey? Uh, I think Kevin is. Ken Dorsey is older than Kevin Stefanski. Oh, wow. Would you, would you have guessed that? I, I just guessed the opposite. Like I never would have, uh, I, I feel, I don't know. I just feel like Ken Dorsey's maybe that's just my perception of like, seeing Ken Dorsey play or something and feeling like I'm somehow younger than, <laughs> than what I actually am. I just, that I, I would have never, I would have never guessed that Kevin's 41, Ken's 42. And then you'd have Flacco back. Who's 40. So just be the like brain the, trust. The, the over 40 quarterback operation would be funny. Um, I, I will say Flacco is not back and they'll figure out and maybe Driscoll's the practice squad quarterback. Um, I, I just think Joe's presence would be tough. It would it would come with a lot of public questioning all the time, and I don't know that that's the healthiest for a quarterback that I think you and I would agree is fragile mentally these days. So, and I don't mean that to be disrespectful. I just think it's pretty obvious that Watson is trying to like find that self confidence and swagger again. And if everything he does is, well, just put in Flacco, right, is not going to really help. Right. situation how, how the franchise navigates that threads that needle between what deshaun watson needs psychologically and what yeah. the cleveland browns need to have a good 2024 season is very interesting to me good question because man. they're not compatible frankly yeah the, the browns should know based on their experience this year that they need to have 
a capable backup quarterback on the roster. They've tried in years past to make that a guy that is friendly with Deshaun Watson to kind of cushion that blow a little bit because that makes it a little bit easier if it's somebody that you know and want to spend time with. But I'm I, I'm just saying from Andrew Barry's perspective, if Joe Flacco gets to April and he says, you know what, or May, and says there's not really an opportunity out there for me, I'll come back second week of training camp and and be the backup or second week of the season or whatever he wants to do, I think it would be a dereliction of duty for Andrew Barry not to explore that option if the finances work and everything else, because they, they just need that insurance. They we, we both know how much they need that insurance played out right in front of our eyes. So, but you're right. The navigation of Watson's ego and his mental state with the balance of the team needs. This is, it's very tricky, man. It's very tricky. Um, all right. So path to improvement is, um, you know, for quarterback, pretty lame compared to a lot of the others that we'll review here. I don't, I don't see any path to improvement outside of just Deshaun Watson plays better. And maybe they've already attacked that by hiring Dorsey, right? To to be the guy, the voice, the guidance that he needs on the field, and that's the path to improvement played out right in front of us, right? But uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think that there's much to do here. I guess the question would be, Andrew, are you? Are you keen to drafting another late quarterback or signing another quarterback of backup significance? That's sort of uh, where I'm at. So I don't know. The first question of that, are you into like a Dorian Thompson Robinson, the Browns trade back from 54 and maybe they collect another pick in the 100s? Would you be interested in taking another quarterback? Or are you out on the draft cycle? At one point, it looked like there might be some intriguing options later in the draft at, at- as Jaden Daniels was emerging, the NFL hadn't really caught up yet. And it, it felt like he might be available in the second round. That was appealing. But this is also as the season was playing out. I, I think that the clearest way for them to safeguard themselves for the 24 season and allow themselves to stay competitive, even if Watson misses time, is to have an experienced backup in that position. I understand that Dorian Thompson Robinson showed some promise this year. I think there needs to be another player who can not a practice squad type guy, a backup type guy. I think they have to carry three. I think they're in a position where they can't afford to just have Watson and one other guy. I don't, I don't think it's enough for where they're trying to go and the way that he plays the position. So the easiest way for them to improve it is to figure out whichever guy every year, the carousel goes around and there's a guy left without a seat. Last year it was Flacco. Yeah. And, there's going to be another guy like that this year. I don't know who it's going to be yet, but whoever that guy is, that's the guy that they should try and sign for three to four million dollars, and and then carry three quarterbacks. I don't like it, but that this is absolutely where they're at right now. Guy, I think that could potentially make sense be there, and is like an older guy that hasn't really been a backup, so doesn't carry like some of the Jacoby Brissett lore is Tannehill. He's about to be 36 and um, is just a guy that I could see the league overlooking for one of those roles and having a chance to, you know, maybe come to Cleveland for that exact exact thing. And, you know, obviously the, the fan base wouldn't have this emotional tie to Tannehill. They would Flacco, right? So that's something that I would consider. But yeah, free agent quarterbacks of, of relevance in that well beyond Kirk Cousins range is 
pretty slim. It's Tannehill. Uh, I mean, I think Mayfield has uh, played himself into another contract somewhere. Obviously, that's not happening anyway. But that's uh, the next name. Then that's Gardner Minshew, Jacoby Brissett, and Jameis Winston are kind of the guys. And, um, you know, I mean, I, could I see a path to Jacoby Brissett coming back here? I think it's it's possible if he doesn't get any interest anywhere else around the NFL, you know, he took a chance in the commander's opportunity because he thought he could start. If he doesn't feel he's getting a starting opportunity, you know, that's possible. But then I think Jacoby Brissett is <laughs> just as equally loved as Joe Flacco. So then you would still have some of that pressure. You know what I mean, Andrew? So I, again, navigating that is tricky, but to your point, and I agree with you, they need to weigh the history and evidence of what Deshaun has put on the field the past few years and hedge it. They have to hedge it. They they really they really have to. I'm not I'm not as interested in drafting a guy as I am signing someone here for the four to five million range. Are we in alignment there? Yes, not? for sure. No, I okay. think that's that's right because I think they it doesn't feel to me like they really have the bandwidth to develop two young quarterbacks simultaneously. Don yeah. Dorian Thompson Robinson is the developmental quarterback. I don't I know that there's a, a, a line of thinking of draft a quarterback every year. Maybe you get lucky on one of them. I, I'm sympathetic to that. And if there's a guy that they absolutely love in the, the fourth round, I, I suppose go for it, right? But mm-hmm. but in terms of with the second or third pick, they've got two picks in the top 100. Using either of those on a quarterback would be would be a massive mistake in my mind. I'm with you, man. All right, that's quarterback. That's a podcast. We're going to end it right there. Um, listen, thanks for stopping by on this Saturday. Enjoy the Senior Bowl. It's an opportunity to watch some ball this weekend. We will we will have a Senior Bowl guest on next week. We'll try to maybe see if we can steal 15, 20 minutes of Dane Brugler's time to talk through some of his rising player names. We always get him on every year. Or uh, maybe Jordan Reed, somebody like that. I promise to deliver on some more thorough analysis from people who were there on site. We'll get with them, talk through that. Um, otherwise, we're going to keep up over the next few days. We're going to keep up the positional reviews and uh, break them down in this way so that we're sort of setting ourselves up for what the off season will look like. And then eventually we'll be jumping into free agency tiers and what we expect to happen there. A little bit of prediction stuff too. Um, you know, probably like mid February. And then um, that sort of segues perfectly into March. And then we hit the draft stuff pretty heavy as well. So exciting stuff ahead this off season. The NFL really has no, they have like a two month off season, June and July. That's it. So we're in the midst of like the second season right now, and we'll try to cover that as best we can for you. So Andrew, myself, thank you for stopping by. Rate and review the pod on your way out the door. Have a great Saturday. Weather looks pretty good here in Ohio. Get out and enjoy it. Hopefully I come back with both Achilles intact from this <laughs> jump park madness. I'll, uh, I'll let you know. And by this time, maybe Andrew's got a dog name. Never know. Never know. Anything could happen. Until then, be well. Go Browns. Go Browns.